hear firsthand from members, suppliers, and industry partners nationwide. A casual learning environment for you, anywhere. IndieCast by the National Cable Television Cooperative. Welcome to IndieCast, where we talk about the topics and trends that are important to independent pay TV and broadband providers. I'm Brian Dowell, NCTC's Communications Manager, and today we're going to talk about the future, specifically the future of broadband and why fiber is a good choice for operators looking to upgrade or expand their networks in the most future-ready, cost-effective way possible. I'm joined by Larry Thompson, the CEO of Vantage Point Solutions, one of NCTC's preferred consulting partners. They provide engineering and consulting services in the telecom space. And also Ryan Boone, the Chief Operations Officer at Premier Communications, one of NCTC's member operators. Welcome, guys. Good morning, Good morning. Brian. Good morning. All right. First of all, I'd like our listeners to get to know the two of you a little bit. So, Larry, let's start with you. Um, you founded Vantage Point in 2002, but you're a 30-plus year veteran in our industry, having worked in a number of engineering and management roles at companies including TRW, CyberLink, and the Martin Group. How did those early experiences lead you to form a consulting services company like Vantage Point? I actually started uh, designing satellite systems, of all things, in uh, Redondo Beach, California, and eventually got into the consulting world and uh, working with small broadband providers and really enjoy that space. And so that's where I've been uh, for more than 20 years now working in that area. I've, like you mentioned, founded Vantage Point in 2002. So been here the last 18 years as the CEO, work with four to 500 small broadband providers across the United States. I'm on the FCC's Broadband Deployment Advisory Committee and pretty involved like Ryan is in a lot of the industry committees um, you know, in our industry that help forge our path forward from a regulatory and technical perspective. Okay, all right. And I'm sure things have changed a lot in the 18 years you've been running Vantage Point. Oh yeah, when we started Vantage Point it was in the early days of DSL. Oh, and uh, a lot of dial-up at the time, and nobody oh, talks gosh. about those technologies anymore. Was that only in 2002? That seems like it was uh, decades ago. Yeah, the first DSL deployment we did was in 99. Wow, okay, yeah. Ryan, you're currently serving as COO over at Premier Communications, which is one of our member companies providing video, voice, and broadband in Northwest Iowa. In your 20 years in the industry, you've held technical, regulatory, operational roles, and you serve on a few different boards and committees, Iowa Communications Alliance, Industry Policy Committee at NTCA, Rural Broadband Association, just to name a few. How does that well-rounded background shape your work as COO? Yeah, well, I, I was lucky enough to start my career at uh, Keesling Associates, which uh, is now BKD. Um, and work under one of probably, uh, at least in Iowa, one of the most known individuals in the consulting world, and Bernie Snoddy. And I had one of the, just as a mentor, probably one of the best uh, opportunities for those five years at Keesling to, to learn just about the industry and, um, and yeah, just about a lot of different, Iowa has about 140 different uh, companies that provide small small companies that provide service throughout the state and to get to meet a lot of them and see a lot of ways to do things, which uh, has really uh, impacted the way that I, the way I go at our company now, you know, I, I've sure, seen all yeah. those different 
those different perspectives and, and it's really, really helped from an operations perspective uh, here at Premier. So, so yeah, I started in 2006 at Keesling and uh, so about 16 years now and loving every minute of it. Cool. What is it that makes you passionate about your work? It, it seems like with your various board uh, responsibilities, you're a pretty dedicated industry advocate. Um, what is it that drives that passion? Um, I, I grew up in the industry. So uh, for those who don't know anything about Premier, uh, we're a, a shareholder owned company, but uh, my dad is the CEO, um, became the CEO in 2002. So right when I went off to college and uh, um, before that, he was the assistant general manager. So I grew up digging ditches, washing trucks, mowing the yard. Uh, or the lawns oh, wow. of our of our various uh, properties, and uh, so it's kind of it's in the blood. It it yeah, uh, yeah. you just live and breathe this, and um, yeah. So it's it's not family owned, but uh, our Thanksgiving dinners uh, with Thanksgiving come up look a little different than the average uh, oh, yeah. family. There's mm -hmm. there's plenty of of work conversations that go on. So that's that's where my passion, I think, kind of drives from is just this is all I've known. So sure, yeah. I love to breathe it. It's a great industry to be in. And that's yeah, that's great. a story we hear time and again from our members. So many of our member companies are multi-generational and that's kind of cool. You don't see that in a lot of other industries. So it's it's what makes us, well, I think it's what makes our industry so special and unique. So I love that. That's cool. Yeah. All right, let's dive in. Um, we're going to talk about the future, uh, future of broadband and, and, and fiber. Uh, so when we look at the future of broadband, and I'm going to start this question, I think I'm going to aim this question at Larry first. Larry, what are we seeing for user demands? You know, when we first started Vantage Point, we talked about, you know, DSL and dial-up were prominent 18 years ago. I used to go around and um, show these charts showing by 2005, people were going to need one meg. And by 2010, they were going to need eight meg. And I have people coming <laughs> wow. up to me after the conference arguing saying there is no way people are ever going to need a meg why do you keep doing you know saying ridiculous things like that and i would say look i'm just extrapolating the numbers you know i don't know what what it is that they're going to need but that's the way it's trending and the reality is back then you know youtube and netflix and all of those had not even been invented yet and so we didn't even know what was going to be on our networks that was going to need that kind of bandwidth but the reality is it actually grew faster than what my charts were showing at the time sure. and you know now we're talking about gigabit speeds and what do people need those things for but we're building networks today for stuff that hasn't even been invented yet just like we were 18 years ago and we don't know what's going to consume that bandwidth, but we need to be able to build our networks for the future, looking at those trends. If you look at what some of the experts you know, are saying, um, they most everybody will say sometime between now and 2025 or 2028, um, people will need one gig. That's going to be the norm. If you sure. look at a lot of the statistics today where 80% of the U.S., because most of our uh, population lives in the big cities. It's in Houston and New York and Chicago and Los Angeles. They can get a gig today. So 80% of our population could order a gig if they wanted it. Um, you know, that's where it's headed. And you look at the networks we're putting in now in the local loop can do 10 gig. And so when you extrapolate out, we really need to be designing between one and 10 gig over the next five to 10 years. 
Absolutely. And you made a good point. You're, we're building networks for demands we don't even know about yet. And I think 2020 has been just the most perfect graphic example of, of that situation, right? Who would have known uh, that we would find ourselves in a situation where, you know, by some measure, 42% of the workforce is working remote. Uh, and there's we're seeing uh, as much as a 56% increase in upstream usage year over year because of the uh, ramping up of video conferencing as remote work becomes our new normal. Um, how does that increasing demand, those those factors that are pressuring demand, how does that affect the business of owning a fiber network? Yeah, uh, Brian, that's a great, great question. And and I think it just, it makes it all the more important, right? Well, sure. Um, you know, I think we've seen, uh, if anybody watches the, the mergers and acquisition market, we've seen uh, uh, a huge value placed on those with fiber in their networks and with, with growth opportunities. But going back to kind of what, what Larry said too, in our network, I, I did just a little digging. Um, and in the last year, we've seen a 42% growth of our, of our peak broadband usage. Yep. Um, and so what we kind of track is we try to take out the outliers. So we track 95th percentile of our peak usage. So at any one point in time at our 95th percentile, it's 42% higher than what it was a year ago. We're 500% higher than what it was three years ago and 670% higher than what it was five years ago. Wow. And so when I when I looked back at what that peak usage was, and again, this is just the 95th percentile. So it's taking out the, the real sharp uh, peaks. But in 2015, at any point in time, it was, we were using about, or our, our customers were using about four gigabits of use, or had about four gigabits of usage. This year, it's at 33 gigabits. Oh, and, and again, that's not, that's not the total over a month. That's at a single point in time, 95th percentile, that's what we're using. And so by next year, we're already planning for, for 45 gigabits of usage. That's what our network has to be able to do. And when you're thinking about, we have redundant networks and things like that, so we can spread that across um, multiple rings or multiple paths. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. if any one of those fails, one path has to be able to handle that. Um, so as Larry was talking about, we got to be preparing for one gig, 10 gig. He's talking about to each home. We're preparing and, and Larry's firm is helping us prepare for 100 gig networks um, or rings right within our own, our own system. And so we can handle these peak usages and for the next five to 10 years, uh, be able to handle this customer demand. And, and wow. it's really interesting because, you know, you mentioned the work from home phenomenon, you know, and the, the additional upstream usage, you know, we haven't, the, the interesting thing, the question always comes up is, boy, have your, has your internet demand just gone through the roof? That peak usage really hasn't changed, right. but the peak just lasts now, instead of for three or four hours in the evening, the peak is for eight, 10 hours. It's, it's sure. during the workday and then into the evening. So that mm -hmm. total usage is, is way up. And I just wanted to make one other comment about what are we, what are we planning for? Um, so I have three kids that, that are in middle school and elementary school. Um, we had the luxury of having them quarantined for a week or two <laughs> because of, uh, 
this uh, lovely pandemic that we're in. Yeah. And uh, my sister just had it in Des Moines, um, Iowa, that mm. their school system decided we're going virtual for two weeks. And so what have all these kids done? They pop open their computers, their their tablets, and they are video conferencing everything. Yep. And so they're they're zooming with their with their classmates and with their teacher and they're doing all their classes online. And, and that's just, it's constant. You know, so it's not like uh, us at work having a one hour uh, Zoom call or a half hour meeting. It's two to three day, hours with a with a snack break, do recess at home. But uh, it's you know, you get three or four devices all going in the home, all Zoom, you know, doing Zoom uh, classroom teaching. Our networks better be prepared for this. And that's Absolutely. and that's where we're starting to we're We're thankful we had fiber. Because we could handle, we could handle that uh, with very little effort. I'm going to say outside of maybe a subscriber needing to change their their broadband speed at home. Sure. Um, but we're seeing in some of the areas where we don't have fiber, this is what we need to be planning for. And like Larry said, I'm sure there's things that we have no idea what are coming that we need to be planning for those too. Oh yeah. You know, this pandemic has really changed how we communicate so rapidly. You know, if you think about nowadays, if I were to get a uh, an email from Ryan saying, hey, jump on this audio bridge at three o'clock, I would think that sounds so primitive. Are you kidding me, <laughs> an audio bridge? We don't do audio bridges anymore, where it seemed like even within Vantage Point here, the staff, I would always encourage them to do video calling and you know have more of that personal connection even within the company. And it was like pulling teeth. Everybody's really easy, you know, quick to just go over and pick up their desk phone and make a call when they need to communicate. Now it's rare that I ever see anybody even internally or certainly with clients where we're picking up a phone and using an audio bridge. It's almost always a Teams or a Zoom. We've evolved how we communicate so rapidly since March. Um, and I don't think we yeah. really sat down and even thought through that, but um, it's dramatically different. You know, it's interesting to see too where, you know, just 10 years ago, we've shifted where the bottlenecks are in our network. You know, it used to be our local loop. When you would try to figure out how fast a service can I provide my customer, it was how long of copper loops do you have right. or what version of Doxis are you operating under? That copper loop, if it was coax or twisted pair, the length of it really dictated how fast of service, you, how fast of broadband you could be offering your customer. As we're evolving now and replacing all of that copper with fiber, we've shifted where our bottleneck is. It's no longer that local loop, that last piece to the customer. Usually we've shifted it upstream somewhere into some sort of a middle mile or something sure. that's now the bottleneck. So we've mm -hmm. kind of shifted where our, our point of pain is sometimes. Absolutely. So Ryan, given that uh, that's the case, that we're seeing this shift, um, and you mentioned that you, you engineered to the uh, 95th percentile for your peaks, but how has... How has what we're seeing in the last six, nine months, has it changed the way that you engineer your network? Has it changed the basic formula that you use to size your capacity and, and make sure that you've got everybody covered? I think what it's done for us, and and when I say the 95th percentile, that's what we're uh, that's what we're not managing to, but that's what we're tracking. We usually, if, if we get to 80% of our capacity, we start to get really nervous. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so we're constantly, and that's 80% of not the 95th percentile, but 80% of, of the actual peak. Right, gotcha. Um, 
we have uh, our we have one of the the best uh, CTOs in the country, I think, and Frank Bulk, and and he he watches this stuff like a hawk and is on top of it. Um, but we what I think it's really made us do is not just think where do we need to be maybe three five years from now, but where are we planning for ten years from now. Uh, like I mentioned, and, and Larry's exactly right. When you have fiber, that last mile, we're we're good. You know, we don't. It's uh, maybe a little electronics that we potentially have to change in the central office to to get to a gig, but the the majority of the work for that customer is ready. It's it's that middle mile. It's that second mile, and that's why even though we're only well only <laughs> uh, forty five gigabits uh, is our is where we think we we need to be next year. We're planning for a hundred gig network. Um, in the middle mile for next year. And so okay. that'll be double what we need um, with the ability to, and maybe Larry can even speak this better than I can, but with the ability to scale that beyond a hundred uh, oh very quickly. <laughs> um, so when we're planning this, we're not going to our engineering firm like like Larry and saying, hey, we need to be able to a hundred and we're, we think we're good there. It's, we need to be able to get to a hundred, but the way we design that, the way we put it together, we better be able to get to two to three to 400 uh, very quickly and cost effectively. And so that's, those are the thoughts that are going through our mind. And I wanna go back to something, Larry, that you said early on in the conversation uh, here. And that is, you, you mentioned that 80% of Americans can already get a gig speed. Uh, and that tends to be more in, in big cities. Uh, so Ryan, let's talk for a second. You know, give me some perspective on those numbers. You're engineering. You're planning for 100 gig service. Tell me about Premier's customers. So, what does your customer base look like? Yeah. So the biggest community we serve is about 12 or 13 thousand people. Um, smallest community is probably around 100. Oh um, and we serve roughly uh, 30 communities, dozen or so school districts. Um, but yeah, far okay. from large cities. Right. Uh, so this yeah. is rural demand. This is not big city demand. And it's it's we're seeing this all over the country since this. But you serve a lot of rural areas between all those big cities Correct. as well. Yes. How many miles is that, Ryan? Yeah. So we serve approximately 1,500 square miles in northwest Boy. Iowa. And uh, our average density is probably around four people per square mile. And that's including or four to five. And that's including the towns. And so. Wow. We can get into areas where you're at about two people per square mile and some of our towns, um, you know, we are lucky in that we have a couple towns of 13 or one of 13, one at eight, a couple more at a couple thousand, you know, so we kind of run the, the whole gamut. Um, so you guys have, have to meet the same challenges as operators in big cities with a whole different economic model to, to, right. to deliver that service. Right. And I, and I, you know, we're, we're lucky up here where we serve. I think there's a lot of rural areas where their um, demographic is much older um, and maybe right. doesn't use the internet in the same way uh, consistently. Um, we have areas like that, but a good chunk of our service territory does have a younger population, um, a, a strong workforce, a lot of kids. Uh, gaming has become a, a huge thing. Um, and Supposedly, parents are willing to pay a lot of money so their kids can game effectively. I don't, we just sure. had a local college up here. We also have two private local colleges that, for the first time, started an official uh, esports uh, group. And uh, a kid that I know actually got one, the very first scholarship for 
esports. So he's getting paid to go to college and play video games. And play video. I love that. That's, yep. that's incredible. Yep. So that that's can fun. happen even in rural Iowa. <laughs> but it sounds like you're understanding who your customers are and, and what they need has has allowed you guys to to successfully meet that demand. What are some other economic decisions that you have to consider when you decide to make a, a network upgrade, Ryan? Yeah, you know, this is this is a tough one, you know, because there's um, there's no silver bullet. In fact, uh, you know, I even went back, you know, I've only been at our company for um, nine years, almost 10. And so I went back to some of the, the guys who have been here longer than I have sure. and uh, kind of asked some of these upgrades that we've done from coax to fiber happened before my time um, and, and some of the copper to, to fiber before. You know, and and I'll say the copper to fiber decisions much easier. Sure, um, yeah. Copper has some serious limitations, and to upgrade a, a copper plant in our mind, um, you know, we were putting, uh, I don't know what you call them, Larry, uh, uh, the a those loop cabinets. Oh yeah, so fiber in the loop cabinets. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, we were putting those cabinets out in the in the late '90s already, in early 2000s, and so so pretty early on in the process. The the tougher decision for us is really the the coax network. You know, we have a, a Doxis 3.0 coax network now, um, working towards I think being almost fully 3.1, um, so it can do some decent speeds there. But that upload is really where we're seeing uh, the limitation. Right. And so some of the things that we look at um, when we're trying to decide what to do is first up in our area, it's aerial. If we have any aerial coax, we want to get rid of that. We have Absolutely. ice storms, we have tornadoes. Um, we want to be the provider that says, hey, as soon as your electricity comes back, you should have your internet too. Because right. um, that's the other interesting dynamic here is it used to be we need to get phone service back on. People don't care as much whether their phone works unless they're trying to call 911. Uh, mm -hmm. They want to know whether their Internet's going to work. And probably more importantly, uh, do we make sure those cell towers are connected? Absolutely. So cell, phone, cell phone networks work. Um, so besides aerial, it really comes down to the, the quality of the coax plant. You know, we've had... Uh, Vendors come in, consultants to do a, a study actually recently on our coax network to try to help us decide, um, you know, do you upgrade your coax network to get to about a, a gig down 300 meg up, or you just pull the trigger on fiber. And what we're, what we're seeing is it is cheaper in the short term to upgrade our coax network. Right. It's just, are we looking for the short-term solution or are we looking for a long-term solution? Right. And our motto at our company, if you go to our webpage, it says Premier Communications looking ahead. And so everything we do is with this tagline of looking ahead. And so we try to look five to 10 years out and the vast majority of the time that decision means we really do think we're gonna need fiber. Now, does that mean we need to replace all of our coax today with fiber? Probably not. But okay. we better be engineering things so that we can get to fiber uh, one day. And I'll just kind of end with, I know this has nothing to do with the economics of it, but from a, a planning perspective, one thing that we've done and, and Larry's um, firm has helped us a ton with this, we have anywhere where we think fiber could be in the future, I mean, in the next five years or so, we've gone ahead and we've what we call, we've done our R&D 
and we've staked those areas. And really? so we've, we've gone ahead and it may cost a, you know, 50,000, it may cost a hundred thousand, but we'll stake them because even if you're going to upgrade your coax network and put nodes further into, uh, into the field and do node splits and do all mm -hmm. those things, we want to make sure that we're and we're putting that fiber in the ground further into the network in a way that when we do go fiber to the home, we're not, we hadn't wasted dollars five years oh, ago. Sure. And so we're putting the conduit where we need the conduit. We're putting the fiber sizes where we think we need them. Um, the one thing we hate doing is spending money twice. Absolutely. You know, one thing I'll mention, Brian, on the economics perspective, because I talk to lots of board of directors around the country doing strategic planning when they're trying to make a lot of the same decisions that Ryan's just talking about. Because when you look at the numbers of how expensive it really is to do fiber, it is very expensive for any company. And you've got to look at both the revenue side and the expense side, both, you know, by putting fiber in you can offer all sorts of services, you know, gigabit services and things like that, that are good revenue generators that you couldn't have done otherwise. It opens up a whole new opportunity for different types of video offerings and things like that. Now, the expense side is fairly expensive, but you also have to consider the ongoing maintenance costs are substantially lower, for example, and the investment you're making is a 30 year or longer investment. So it's a long term investment, even though it's it's it could be very large initially, um, you know, you depreciate it over a very long period of time. I was in uh, doing a strategic planning uh, meeting for one of my clients a few years ago, and they were grappling with this very choice should I upgrade my copper to fiber and it was a big number and they're going back and forth and so they were thinking should I just push my fiber closer like Ryan said and do fiber in the loop or should I go all the way one of the directors on the board who had been on there like 50 years he was this old guy he's he stood up and he finally goes look he goes I'm going to vote for fiber to the home because <laughs> He goes, I was here when we were multi-party trying to make this decision to go single party. They oh, were an eight-line multi-party. They couldn't stomach the cost of going single party. So they went to from eight-party and rebuilt their whole network for four-party. And he <laughs> says, we went back two years later and had to rebuild it a second time. He goes, sure. I'm not going to make that mistake again. He goes, I want to do it right the first time now. Because he realized they spent so much more expense putting band-aids on their network than just doing it right the first time like Ryan is talking about. And I think any of your NCTC members, when you look at it, and if you were to say, um, do you think 50 years from now, all of your customers will be connected with fiber? I think they would all say yes, because it's long past every copper piece in their network is gonna be um, reached the end of its useful life. And then you say, well, will it be 30 years? Will it be 20 years? The reality is we're all gonna have your customers connected by fiber. It's just a matter of timing. When is it gonna happen? Generally speaking, doing it sooner rather than later is oftentimes better because you have more revenue opportunities. One thing I will say, um, this is a compliment to Ryan and Premier. He mentioned how he goes out and you know pre-stake some of these areas. There are opportunities where kind of money falls from the sky. It could be a grant program or you know just recently where the CARES money that was being distributed and had to be uh, invested rapidly. And we had a lot of clients that was were calling us at the time saying, 
um, you know, the government's willing to give me millions of dollars to, um, you know, invest fiber in my network. Where can I do it? And we would look at them and say, look, by the time we would stake it and do all the engineering, all of the work required, you know, secure the materials and get contractors, there's no way you would have enough time to be able to benefit from that. But like Premier would be an example of they pre-planned. And in environments like this, pre-planning can uh, be a huge asset to your company. They were able to go out and say, oh yeah, I've already got it pre-engineered. I can go out now and make, you know, benefit from those kinds of opportunities where other companies may not have been able to. Very cool. So I, I'm glad you mentioned grant money, Larry, because I had it on my list to ask you uh, about RDOF and C-band, some of these grant programs and different funding sources that we're hearing about now. What's the number one thing that you wish every operator knew about RDOF and grant money? I think be prepared. You know, the, when you this industry, broadband industry, is an up industry right now. You look the next five or ten years, and rather than trying to figure out how am I going to struggle and survive, like maybe a lot of these operators were thinking five to ten years ago, right now they're more focused on how do I prioritize all the opportunities I have before me. You know, we've had right. a complete. 180 shift in our mentality and how you plan in an, in an environment with all of these opportunities is different how you plan in a down environment. You know, RDOF is one, obviously it's too late if you're not involved now, but there's going to be a lot more opportunities like that. You know, if you look at, for example, um, what Biden has planned with some of the in infrastructure spending, I think over the next year or two, we're going to see a lot more opportunities for spending money to get broadband because this pandemic has shown us just how important it is for, for education, for communication, for medical care, or, or entertainment. I mean, there's across the board, broadband is critical for so many aspects of our lives anymore. And I think we're going to see a lot more money put into this industry you need to be prepared when that money becomes available. And it's one of those issues that's completely bipartisan. You can go across the aisle and everybody, if, if they can't agree on anything else, they at least all agree on broadband. Sure, sure. That's a great observation. So Ryan, uh, thinking about what Larry just said, you know, the, be prepared. And, and it sounds like Premier is very prepared and you're very prepared. What would you say to an operator who's at that decision point in their network evolution? What is a good next step you'd recommend to a, a broadband provider who hasn't chosen a long-term strategy yet? I'd really, I'd, you know, it's tough to know what it's going to cost to go fiber until you've staked your system to go fiber, right? Um, or at least done some uh, high-level estimates. And so I would do that. I'd, I'd be looking at, okay, what, what would it take to go fiber? And then, um, like I said earlier, making sure that any little legs of fiber you put in after mm -hmm. that match your plans for if you did go fiber all the way, so you're not spending sure. money twice. Um, but again, I'd I'd kind of look, you know, I I do think, like Larry said, you know, 50 years from now, 30 years from now, 20 years from now, 10 years from now, do we really think that we're going to want copper in our system or? or coax, you know, coax, you maybe have a little longer life, but definitely not copper, you know, so it's really about when you decide to pull the trigger, not if to an extent. Sure. And I know that's the same. <laughs> it's tough. I mean, we have, we have a 
six or seven coax systems yet our uh, network and um, our communities that have coax and again they're 3.0 3.1 systems one gig mm-hmm. you know it's tough to know what that right decision point is but i think what you know our kind of plan is saying okay we know we can't do it all in one year so what what pieces can we bite off and how do you how do you forecast for that and budget for it um, to knock them all off because we do truly believe that fiber is the future and so uh it's not an if it's a when right so making sure you're ready for that win sure well you you brought back kind of the you brought up the topic of this conversation which is that fiber is the future um we've talked about uh how much more future-proof fiber is once it's in the ground there's there's little left uh in maintaining it what are and, and we know of course the speed is only limited by you know the electronics on the end of it. What are some other benefits of fiber beyond just the speed and and the future proof? Are there are there video benefits specifically for video delivery? Yeah, so I can give that one a first shot. You know, one of the things that and I'm not sure if, if maybe Premiere is unique in this in this way and and we've fallen short on some of our we have an all digital RF video platform. Okay. Um, on our coax network Um, on our fiber network it's a iptv system Mm. and what we find is on our fiber iptv system looks way better um, from an operational standpoint to troubleshoot it oh um, sure yeah to be able to see where maybe some of the if there are issues where those are um you know, some, some of these tools just, and again, maybe it's just Premiere, but some of the tools just don't exist on the RF side uh, for us to be able to do that. So by going fiber, we see, um, you know, maybe it's not necessarily a benefit in the delivery of, of video, but it's once it's delivered, how do we make sure that customer has the best experience possible? Sure. Um, and we can proactively fix things a little easier, uh, help the customer, you know, probably the most common call we get because we are all digital as well um, is the customer turns their box off and doesn't know how to do it oh. or turn it back on, mm-hmm. or uh, they get on their DVR input as opposed to the set top box input. Well, on our uh, IPTV system, we can walk them through that change 10 times faster than what we can on an RF system. Um, and in fact, we're even working on a way to be able to, force their tv to change to the set top box on its oh, own um, pretty slick can, yeah so so those are the benefits that that i kind of see from uh from an iptv perspective but premiere is also starting to look at what it's what it's like to offer an over-the-top type of service um something that really does go um it's not an iptv type of platform but it's really kind of on their internet right. uh uh, stream, I guess, even though it's all controlled within our network. And when you start looking at a multicast versus a unicast, um, mm-hmm. which I'm sure is a very familiar uh, topic for your members. Absolutely. Um, unicast can get kind of scary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you think about what what customers could be doing. And so uh, the nice thing about fiber is that unicast, it's a you know, we have a dedicated connection to each customer. We don't have a shared coax system um, where you're sharing that bandwidth to the node um, and hoping that, you know, you have enough there. We have a dedicate, it's dedicated all the way back to our CO. And so with that, with that product that we're looking at, Unicast and with fiber really isn't a concern for us. 
because it's all within our network. We're not sending, sure. you know, yeah. we're not sending it to any, there's no middle mile piece to right. that. Right. Yeah, Ryan right. mentioned some of these expense savings. You know, we used to spend a lot of time troubleshooting, let's say power line influence problems on copper cable, trying mm. to quiet the lines down right. or, you know, within a, a copper bundle, you know, you there's some quiet pairs and some noisy pairs and always playing around trying to find those quiet pairs for DSL. And there's similar things on coax as well that generate noise. It might be a radio station or something that um, is interfering. But another factor from an expense standpoint, back to what you were asking about, Brian, you look at the fiber in the loop cabinets that Ryan mentioned earlier and Premier had a couple hundred of those. And you think about just the power bill because they all need a power drop and right. it's 30 bucks or more a month times 200 cabinets. All of those things add up. And then when that cabinet loses power, but the farm two miles down the street didn't, and he's wondering why his broadband or his phone is out because some cabinet a couple of miles down the road doesn't have power. Mm -hmm. Sometimes hard to explain those kinds of things to them. And so just operationally and from an expense standpoint, there's some of these secondary effects that can be substantial over time as well. Sure, yeah. And, and customers, at the end of the day, they don't really care why it isn't working, right? They just want their TV back on. So right. I think it's interesting that you both point out that there's a general lift in the customer experience just from the ability to support the customer, you know, internally, operationally. I think that's that's an important benefit to point out. Larry, once an operator chooses fiber for the long-term strategy, and really after talking to y'all, why wouldn't they? Um, they've got some more tech decisions to make, uh, such as choosing an access technology. Um, one of our uh, pond partners, Adtran, uh, recently was telling us that um, XGS PON is emerging as a dominant fiber access tech with an expected growth rate of 58% annually through 2025. Is that the safe bet? What about the other versions of PON, GPON, Combo PON? Any thoughts on that? You know, we were putting in GPON, you know, GPON's 15 years old now. And, you know, you can do gigabit services over GPON, although you look at a technology like there where it's got 2.4 gig total, you know, downstream, you might be splitting that among 16 to 32 customers. Um, it certainly doesn't have a lot of headroom. You be, have to be real careful about oversubscription and things. So, you know, GPON's definitely getting long in the tooth. A lot of our networks that we're putting in now are based around instead of, you know, the 2.4 gig, you know, up to, um, you know, 10 gig type cap capabilities per customers like XGS PON. XGS PON looks like probably the technology that's going to win out. There's NG PON2 and some of the others that um, are out there as well. Um, XGS PON, I think, is going to be a good technology on a go-forward basis. And those that are still doing the older technologies like GPON probably need to be looking closely at XGS PON. Now, like Ryan had mentioned earlier, when you do an, an upgrade like we're talking about, 80% of your cost is that fiber, you know, that's going in the ground and 20% or less is the electronics that's hanging on it. And you're going to be changing out that electronics, you know, every, you know, seven to 10 years, probably throughout the life of your, you know, your, your cable plant. Um, so that's one thing you're just going to have to expect is replacing it. Every time you replace it, it's going to be 10 to 50 times faster than what you're taking out. And it's just going to continually grow with you. But XGS Pond, you're paying a little bit of a premium today, but you're buying into the future and probably a wise investment. Absolutely. And I would I would assume or guess then that as as a consulting partner for 
broadband providers, that's a decision you're going to help help them make when they face this in their own network evolution. Right. It's going to extend the useful life of that investment. And mm -hmm. it's one of the things you got to weigh out, like Ryan talked about earlier, is you know what the demographics are and what kind of broadband you anticipate over the next five to 10 years in those demographics. But um, the thing, the speeds that we think are ridiculous when we talk about them, if it's, you know, one gig to 10 gig are going to be commonplace five to 10 years from now. And the stuff that we're deploying today is going to seem like dial-up. Wow. Hard to imagine, but you're absolutely right. Where's the where's the, the ceiling on these on these increases we're seeing, you know? You know, I hear a lot of times when I'm speaking on these panels and things at these conferences, a lot of it comes from the wireless industry oftentimes where they keep saying, and they've been saying this for the last 15 years, that we're reaching a plateau. That And I think a lot of it is to uh, extend the life, you know, get people to buy their equipment because they of don't course. have as much headroom as a fiber network does but they keep saying we're hitting a plateau and I keep telling them there's I don't see any plateau yet you know we're not <laughs> reaching that the stuff that they're doing in the labs with virtual um, broadcasts and 3d and um, you know things like that are going to be in our living room before we know it mm -hmm. all of that stuff requires more and more bandwidth and again it goes back to we're building networks that for stuff that hasn't even been invented yet. Which is exciting. I think it's kind of cool. We're, we're building the future. Larry, Ryan, I want to thank you both for spending some time to talk about this today, about fiber in the future. Um, it's been a very interesting conversation. I know our members are going to appreciate hearing your perspective on a topic that's really, I think, on everyone's mind in the industry these days. And members, if you're listening and you want to learn more about how Vantage Point Solutions can assist you with your network evolution strategy, visit nctconline.org and click on our supplier directory. You can also call us at 800-888-6282 and we'll help get you matched up with the right consulting partner for your particular needs. Guys, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Thanks for listening. Find our podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, or on our website at nctconline.org. IndyCast by the National Cable Television Cooperative.